Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So good to see everybody. And I know in addition to those who are here in person, we have a ton of people worshiping with us online right now. So if you are here in person in North Garnett, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. Also welcome in our guests here today. It's awesome to have you guys worshiping with us. And the other day I was watching a baseball game on TV with my son Alex. He's seven and he loves sports. And so we were watching this game. We were watching our favorite college team play. I'm not going to mention the name of that college team. Um, if you're wondering, it starts with a K and ends with a Tucky. But uh, we were watching them play. And believe it or not, Kentucky does have a baseball team. Uh, but we, we haven't done real well uh, this year. And we were playing the number three team in the country, Vanderbilt University, and this was the third game in the series. They'd already beat us pretty easily the first two games, and everybody predicted they were going to beat us this third game as well. But going into the ninth inning, we were only down a couple runs, and I thought, there's a chance, there's a shot that we could possibly win. So Alex and I, we were on the edge of our seats, and we were cheering the cats on, and Addie came into the room, my little four-year-old daughter, and she doesn't have a clue about baseball. She doesn't know the rules. She doesn't understand the game at all, but she would cheer whenever we would cheer. She would get excited whenever we would get excited and say, yes, and she had no idea what was going on, but she was still excited. And at one point in the ninth inning, uh, Kentucky had two men on base, and the guy steps up to the plate, and he hits a home run. And when he does, he brings in, of course, three runs, and Kentucky takes the lead, and we end up winning the game. And it was this great, awesome moment, and Alex and I, we went nuts. We started cheering and clapping, doing the C-A-T-S, cats, 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 chant over and over again, and Addie jumped in with us. She was saying C-A-T-S, and she didn't know what was happening, but she was excited. And then as soon as we calmed down, she goes, I'm going to go tell mommy because Allison was in another room. And so Addie ran in and I thought, what is she going to tell mommy? She doesn't even know what just happened. And she ran into the other room. She goes, mommy, guess what? And Allison goes, what? And Addie said, Kentucky did something. <laughs> and Allison goes, what'd they do? And Addie responded, I don't know, but it was awesome. It's amazing how sometimes in life we can get excited about something because everybody else around us is excited, but we really don't know what's going on. And that's why we're launching a new series today called We Are First Church. Because whether this is your first Sunday here or you've been attending this church for decades, you are here during a very exciting season of our church. God is doing some incredible, great, awesome things right now through the life of our church and we've seen him do some incredible things over the past 15 months or so and we want to share some of that stuff with you because we hear guests all the time come and say you know there's just something special here at first church we can just tell something unique is going on and I agree with that we also hear people who've been here for years say, you know, Chad, there's some momentum here and some excitement and enthusiasm here right now that we haven't seen for a long time. I think you guys can tell that something special is going on here. And what we want to do is we want to tell you why. Why we believe something special is taking place here. We want to let you know what makes First Church, First Church. Just the other day, I was reading in the book of Psalms, and I came across this verse in Psalm 126. In verse 3, it says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. When I read that last line there, we are filled with joy, I thought, that's how I would describe our church right now. 
We are full of the joy of heaven. You've heard us say before, we believe that the church exists to be a community on earth where the joy of heaven meets the sadness of earth. That's why we're here. We believe we're here to give people a taste of heaven, a taste of God's love, a taste of his hope and his joy. Because there's a lot of sadness in our world, isn't there? All you gotta do is turn on the news. There's a lot of sadness in our world right now. And we wanna be an instrument of God's joy. We wanna show people that there's more to life than just what they see around them. And I believe that's what First Church is doing right now. We are a people who are full of the joy of heaven because this is a place, this is a community where broken people are made whole. This is a community where those who are suffering, suffering from addiction issues find recovery. This is a church where those who are struggling in their marriages, they find healing. Where those who are struggling in their family life they find strength. This is a church where people who are lost find purpose and meaning. This is a place, this is a community, this is a family where the joy of heaven meets the sadness of earth. And we see that happening on a weekly basis. But I'm gonna let you know why that's happening in this place. It's not because I'm a great leader, because I'm not and I know that. It's not because we have a talented staff, even though I think we do have a pretty talented staff, it's not because we have a talented staff. It's not because our elders here are superheroes or anything like that, though they can wear capes at times, but still, they're not superheroes. The reason why our church is doing what it's doing right now is the same reason why the people in Psalm 126 were filled with joy. It's because the Lord has done great things for us. See, we're a church that is following God's leadership. We're a church that is listening to him, wanting to go where he wants us to go, to take the path he wants us to take. And we believe that as long as we are following him, he will do great things in our midst, things that we could not accomplish and do on our own. And I've seen that happen firsthand over the past year or so. You guys may be wondering why I'm wearing this baseball jersey today. It's not just because I opened up with a baseball story, even though that fit pretty well. I'm wearing this jersey today because I've only worn this jersey one other time in my life. I wore it a year ago this weekend. And if you guys were here on that Sunday, you know that was the Sunday that we relaunched our in-person services after being only online because of the COVID pandemic. And on that Sunday, we wanted it to be kind of like a pep rally as we came back, as we relaunched our in-person services. So we challenged our church family to wear First Church shirts and some of our staff, we had these baseball jerseys made up because we were in a series called Curveball at that time. And here's a picture of me and Matt Thomason and Tim. I was the first one to get one of these jerseys. They always copy my style, especially Tim Tibbles. He copies my style all the time. But anyway, we took this picture because we wanted, to, we wanted to show everybody that even though, even though this life throws us curveballs, we're not afraid to step up to the plate because our God is with us and on our side. And we can handle whatever curveballs come our way because he will give us the strength. He will give us the guidance, the coaching to know what to do. And on that Sunday, in that curveball series, I preached on Ezekiel and I talked about how God led Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones 
and how God breathed life into those dry bones again. And that's what we're here to do as the church. We are here to breathe life into a dying world. We are here to be light in the midst of the darkness. And here's the thing, the light doesn't run from the darkness. The light doesn't shy away from the darkness, but it invades it. And that's what our world needs right now. See, we believe that when the world is at its worst, it needs the church at its best. And on that day when we relaunched our in-person services, we had no idea how many people were gonna show up and we had no idea what our church was gonna look like a year from that point. But guys, I can confidently say over the past year, the Lord has done great things in our midst. Over the past year, we've had 144 new families attend our church. And those are, yeah, you can clap for that. And those are just those who have let us know, who have filled out a connection card or come to a discovery class. I'm sure we have others who haven't let us know. Our next gen ministry, it's exploding right now. From our little ones to our kids to our students, junior and senior high, our next gen ministry is exploding right now. In fact, we have Kid Fest coming up this week. You guys have probably heard us announce that. Kid Fest is for our uh, kids age K through five, K through fifth grade. And we were anticipating, I don't know, maybe 75 or 100 kids for this because right out of COVID and we didn't do it last year and we just weren't sure how many kids were gonna show up. We are now seeing that we're gonna have over 200 kids show up for Kid Fest. I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, Chaotic and crazy, but it's gonna be a lot of fun too. And we can't wait. Guys, we've baptized more people so far in the first five months of 2021 than we did in, in all of 2020. And we are experiencing a 50% increase in our overall worship attendance right now than where we were in 2019. And I remember when the pandemic first hit, we were worried about our finances. And some of the staff, the lead staff got together and said, we're willing to take a cut and pay in order to allow for the ministry here to continue. And we had all these different plans of what could happen. And we didn't have to, do, we didn't have to go with any of those plans. Because not only have we met budget all throughout the pandemic and beyond, we've exceeded budget because of your guys' generosity and because you believe in the mission of our church, the mission that God has given us. Now here's the thing. Every church is not in the state that we're in right now. According to recent studies that have been done, 80% of churches in our country right now are, have either plateaued in their growth or they are declining. Over half of all churches in America did not add one single convert last year. Over half did not add one single convert last year. And there was a recent study that was just done a few months ago by the Barna Group that said one in five churches will face permanent closure in the next 18 months. And I don't put those stats up here or share those stats with you to criticize any other church. My heart goes out for these churches. There are probably several different reasons why this could be happening. My heart goes out for them and I pray for the church across America because the church needs to be at its best everywhere in every place. And I don't bring up these stats to brag on ourselves. I only point this out because we need to remember what God has done. We need to be grateful for what he has done. And we need to remember to stay focused on him because I believe that's the reason why he's continued to work in our midst the way he has is because we have kept our focus on him even in the midst of all the curveballs that have been thrown our way. 
In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus gives us this promise. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus lets us know that as the church, we are going to face hell at times. And don't get nervous, I said that in the biblical way, okay? So we will face the gates of hell at times, okay? But listen to what he says. The gates of hell, hell will not prevail against his church. And that's the key. He says, I will build whose church? Not Chad's church. Not the staff's church, not the eldership's church, not your church. I will build my church. And as long as we remember whose church this is, he will be with us. He will protect us. He will guide us and he will lead us even when we're up against the gates of hell. And our church believes that. And that's why when the pandemic hit, we didn't see the pandemic as a problem. We saw it as an opportunity for God to use us like he never has before. And that's why throughout the pandemic, when the world hit pause and the world slowed down, we didn't. We had to pivot and make changes, but we didn't slow down. And so we went out during the, during the pandemic and passed out gift cards, which we collected from you guys, to healthcare workers throughout the Owasso area. We provided food for the hungry and the needy. We built houses for people during the pandemic. We had a house built right here on our North Garnett campus. We went to a local house that had caught fire and helped clean that, that rubble up. When school came back in session, we took uh, treats, popcorn, and different refreshments to the school employees to let them know we were thinking about them and praying for them. We went on mission trips during the pandemic. We actually left the country during the pandemic and went and served other people. I mean, just recently, we had the opportunity to support and help a refugee family that we met on a previous mission trip. Our junior hires, instead of going uh, somewhere on spring break or sitting at home and playing video games, they did a serve week and they went out and helped clean up our community and they helped out John 316 mission and all sorts of other stuff. We were able to provide two different individuals, families in our church with cars, with vehicles because they needed transportation to get back to work. They wanted to work in the midst of the pandemic and didn't have a vehicle to get them there so we helped them find one. We went to nursing home facilities and assisted and care facilities and we brought them cards and treats and we even had pet parades where some of you guys brought your pets out and paraded them around the building and the residents would look out their window and with smiles on their faces to see the pet parades that we threw and I, I could just go on and on but probably one of the most significant things has been our online ministry we have reached people in all 50 states and in a dozen different countries people that we could never reach before and I think there's a reason why we kept going when a lot of people were slowing down and hitting pause. It's because we know what our mission is. If you're new to First Church, our mission is simple. We say it like this, love Jesus, love like Jesus. It's based on the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We say it like this, love Jesus, love like Jesus. And we believe that this mission never stops, never ends. We keep doing this until he returns. And then when he returns, we're gonna still be loving Jesus and loving people, right? This is our mission and it does not end. Even if there's a pandemic, even when people tell us we can't meet, even when we're up against the gates of hell, this mission does not stop. And because we understand our mission, 
We want to be constantly growing in a relationship with Jesus, and we believe the more we grow in a relationship with him, the more we will reflect his love to the world. See, when I first came here, in one of my early sermons, I held up a picture frame kind of like this one. And I said, a lot of people come to church, and they have different pictures in mind of what they believe the church should be. Pictures that they've created themselves, pictures that other people have painted for them, but they come to church with a lot of different pictures in mind. And what we tell people is that when you come be part of First Church, we're gonna ask you to put whatever picture you have of the church aside. Put it aside. And we're gonna paint a picture together of what the church should look like, and this is what our picture at First Church is based on. It's based on the words of John the Baptist in John 3.30. He, speaking of Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. See, our picture of the church is a picture of Jesus. We want for our church to increasingly look more and more like Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the picture of a healthy, growing, vibrant church, a church that looks like Jesus. And that's why our mission statement is so important. Love Jesus, love like him, because the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you will start to look and act like him. And that's how we will change this world. See, Jesus says this in the Gospel of John. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says it's our love. As we show others the same love he has shown us, we will prove to the world that we are who we claim to be. But if we're not loving people, we'll never show the world who he is. See, sometimes I'll have conversations with people and they'll make comments like, you know, Chad, I just want to go to a church that uh, dives deep into the word that doesn't just always talk about love, as if they're two separate things. And you guys know this, we go deep into God's word here. We believe that it's important to go deep in God's word. But what those people are oftentimes saying is they want more head knowledge is what they want. And there's nothing wrong with head knowledge. There's nothing wrong with memorizing scripture and knowing the passages in the Bible. We're supposed to do that. We're called to do that. And I love going deep and having all, a bunch of head knowledge. I mean, I've got four theology degrees. I mean, I, I believe in that. But here's the thing. I've been part of churches that have a whole lot of head knowledge. And there are people, they can quote you book, chapter, and verse when it comes to any question you might ask them but they're not serving anybody. They're not loving anybody. They're not converting anybody. They're just sitting around and bragging about how much head knowledge they have. And guys, that's not the deep stuff. You see, I think we could go an entire lifetime and try to define the love of God and we wouldn't be able to do it because there is no deeper concept in scripture than God's love for us. That's why the love of God is the deep stuff because that's where we often fall short. We know it up here, but we don't take what's up here and live it out. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. And the more you learn about Jesus, the more you study his life, the more you will find out that Jesus never missed an opportunity to unleash God's love on people. He's our example. And what I wanna do today is I wanna look at one of my favorite examples of Jesus unleashing love on someone who needed it. And I think this 
Well, first of all, it shows us who he is, his character, but it also shows us who we are to be as a church. It speaks to the mission that he has given us. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna be in John chapter four this morning. And in John chapter four, what we find out is that Jesus decides to leave the area of Judea and go to Galilee. And when he decides to leave Judea and go to Galilee, John gives us this little piece of information. John writes, now he, speaking of Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Emphasis on that word, had. Now, if you look at a map of this area in the ancient world, what you find out is here's Judea in the south, here's Galilee, two Jewish strongholds, and in the middle, sandwiched between these two areas, is the area known as Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. And so it makes sense. The Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He's traveling from Judea to Galilee makes sense. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? We learned that back in geometry class. But here's the thing. No Jew in Jesus' day traveled through Samaria. The Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. There was real racial and political and social tension between these two groups. Going through Samaria was very risky. You could have easily got into a fight. You could have been hurt or injured. You would have been ridiculed and mocked. You didn't travel through Samaria. Most Jews would go around Samaria. It was a little bit longer, but that's the path that everybody took. That was the path that was less risky. That was the easier path, actually. But the Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And any first century Jew hearing those words would have said, no, you don't. We pass by Samaria all the time. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because something was drawing him there. And that something was actually a someone, a Samaritan woman. The Bible tells us that this Samaritan woman, well, she had a past. She had been married five different times and the man that she was currently living with was not her husband. That was unheard of in this day and age. This was a woman who had been in a lot of bedrooms. This was a woman who'd been hurt by a whole lot of men. This was a woman who'd been the subject of gossips in her town probably for years. This was a woman that had been rejected time and time again by the culture around her. And yet, she seems to be the reason why Jesus had to go through Samaria. And here's why, because Jesus' heart goes out to those who are far from God. And this woman was far from God and Jesus knew she needed to know God because here's the thing, Jesus came he came to let everyone know that friendship with God, a relationship with God is possible no matter your past. And so that's why when Jesus encounters this woman by a well outside of her village of Sychar, Jesus turns to this woman, he sends his disciples on into the town to get some food, and he runs into this woman and he says to her, will you give me a drink? Now again, Jews and Samaritans did not talk they did not have conversations. This was a cultural no-no. Not only that, men and women in public did not talk. That just did not happen. In fact, husbands would not even speak to their wives oftentimes in public. It just did not happen. And yet, Jesus speaks to this woman, which probably would have shocked her. But not only would it shock her, he also says, can I have a drink? And we find out he doesn't have a cup to drink from. He's gonna have to drink from her cup. So not only is he speaking to a Samaritan, he wants to touch something she's touched. They didn't do that. That would have made you unclean. And also, he wants to drink after her. This was completely taboo. This was something that did not happen. And the woman doesn't exactly respond kindly to Jesus at first. And I think there's a reason why she doesn't. 
So you gotta understand her story. And we find out a little bit about her story from this little detail. It says in the Gospel of John that all this happened about noontime. Now that's interesting because it may seem insignificant to you but it's a pretty big deal because one, this woman is alone because women did not go in order to collect water in the middle of the day. That was the heat of the day. They would go in groups at the, either at the beginning of the day or when the sun started to go down for protection because they had to leave their village. So they would travel together. This woman is all alone and she's going in the heat of the day. These water jars that they were carrying, they were heavy. Probably would have been bigger than this one, but this is the best one that I could find at Hobby Lobby. But anyway, they, they had water jars that were bigger than, than this one and they were made of clay and they were heavy and you fill them up with water and then you got to carry them back into your village on foot you didn't go in the middle of the day it was too hot but this woman comes out in the middle of the day all alone for a reason because she's tired of all the mean and odd looks she's tired of people treating her like trash she's tired of people gossiping about her She's tired of being rejected and ridiculed, so she goes on the offensive and she just says, hey, I'm just gonna go when nobody else is gonna be there so no one will notice me. And that's what she did for years until she met Jesus. And you can imagine how awkward this would be being in her shoes. I've got some shoes up here. Does anybody know who wore those shoes? Can you shout it out? Dorothy. Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. How about these shoes right here? Who wore those shoes? Michael Jackson, good. What about these right here? Michael, exactly, Tim Tibbles, not Michael Jordan. It's Tim Tibbles. He's got them on today, actually. Yeah, exactly. You've probably heard the saying, you'll never know somebody until you walk a mile in their shoes. Well, just put yourself in this woman's shoes for a while. She would rather avoid people than be around people and have protection or conversation because she's tired of everybody treating her like trash. And then she meets Jesus. When she meets Jesus, she's surprised that Jesus is talking to her. Look what the Bible says here. It says that the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? In other words, what's your game here, Jesus? What's going on here? What are you trying to pull? There's, you've got to have an agenda here or something. And look at what happens. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And Jesus goes on to explain what he's talking about. He says, you come to this well every single day trying to get water because you're thirsty, but I want to give you something that's eternal. I want to give you living water that will satisfy your soul so you will never be thirsty again. This woman doesn't quite understand what Jesus is talking about, and this is her reply. She says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. See, she thinks he's going to provide some type of water that she'll never be physically thirsty again. He's talking about spiritual water, and Jesus realizes she's still not getting it, so look at Jesus' next move. He says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. This is when it gets awkward. This woman has been chatty Cathy up until this point, talking with Jesus. And then all of a sudden she says these four words, there's actually only three words in Greek, I have no husband, cuts off the conversation. And Jesus knew that, so why did Jesus make the situation awkward? Because Jesus knew this woman was hiding. 
He knew that she thought she had to hide because of her past and he was gonna bring her past out to let her know you don't have to hide anymore. I love you for you and you don't have to hide anymore. And so then they get into this theological conversation and they talk about what proper worship is and all that. This woman kind of tries to deflect a little bit because the situation is uncomfortable. And then she says this. She says, I know that when Messiah called Christ comes, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. In other words, she kind of gives this response. You ever had somebody say, well, we're probably never gonna understand this, but when we all get to heaven, we'll understand it. You know, she's kind of done talking to Jesus. He's made her feel awkward. And so she's like, okay, one day when the Messiah comes, we're gonna get this, okay? We're gonna understand what's right. And Jesus throws her a curveball. He says, I who speak to you am he. And the next line, or the next thing that happens, this next little detail to me is one of the most important details in this passage. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Go on to that next slide. Could this be the Christ? I want you to understand what just happened here. This is a woman who's been avoiding everyone. This is a woman who doesn't want to be around anyone in her village. And yet, after she finds out Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, she runs to her village to tell everybody about who she's just met. And then listen to what she says. She runs and she tells everybody, come meet a man who knows everything I ever did. I thought she was hiding from her past and now she's announcing it to everybody? What changed? What happened? I'll tell you what changed. She now was looking at the Messiah face to face and he wasn't going anywhere. You see, this woman, she had had five different men reject her because in this day and age, women could initiate a divorce, only men could. Five different men had told her, we don't love you anymore. Five different men had kicked her out. Five different men had treated her like trash and she'd been rejected time and time again by not only men but other people in her society. That's why she's probably living with a man right now she's not married to because she's not looking for commitment anymore. She doesn't think she deserves that. She probably has a low self-image and she's thinking, I am unlovable, I am worthless, I am trash. And now she's looking at the Messiah, God in flesh, son of God, eye to eye, face to face. And he's not judging her. He's not criticizing her. He's not gossiping about her. He's not mad at her. He's not fleeing from her. He says, you matter to me. I want to give you living water. And she runs back to her village because she realizes there's more to life than what she's been living for. I love that line. She left her water jar behind. She came for this. She came for this purpose. She came for a jar full of water, but she left with a heart full of life. I love that. Because what does this represent for you? So many people are chasing after things in this life, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find contentment, trying to find peace, trying to find purpose, but they just have to keep filling up their jar because this life, its satisfaction doesn't last. But Jesus says you can live for something more, and this woman realizes once she meets Jesus, she doesn't need this anymore. 
that now the only thing that matters is Jesus and she leaves what she was living for completely and totally behind. And when she runs back to her village, verse 39 tells us that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. See, Jesus wants for us to take the life he's multiplied in us and multiply it in others. That's why we're here. That's what this woman did for her Samaritan village. And that's what God wants his church to do in all of our neighborhoods, in every community and town throughout Northeast Oklahoma, in every city throughout our country and world. He wants for us to take the life that he's multiplied in us and multiply it in others because those are his children out there that are hurting, that need him. I'll never forget, I was at a Christian conference a few years ago and I was talking to this guy who was inviting me to go to this VIP luncheon. It's a pretty big deal. I'm not a VIP, but for some reason, I guess they had an extra seat and they asked me to go. And so I was gonna get to be with all these big name preachers or whatever. And I was honored that they were asking me to go. And as this guy is inviting me, I'm in a hallway here at the North American. And as this guy, at the North American Christian Convention, as this guy is talking to me, somebody walks up to me and says, Chad, your son just had an accident. See, my kids were with Allison and Alex had fallen down an escalator. Now, he was fine, but I didn't know that at the time. And I remember I didn't even finish the conversation with this guy. I just ran to go to my son. And the guy didn't realize what was happening. He was talking to me. He said, don't you want to know where we need to meet at? And I just said, later. And I was gone because my son needed me. Guys, there are people all in this world right now who are hurting because of what sin has done to them, because of what this world and culture has done to them, and they need our Heavenly Father, and our Father has put us here to introduce them to Him. See, we want to carry out that mission because we follow a leader who had to go through Samaria. We had to keep doing what we did during the pandemic. We had to keep going. We had to keep marching forward because... We know the importance of going through Samaria because there's somebody in Samaria, there's somebody in your neighborhood, there's somebody in your community, there's somebody who's not like you, there's somebody who's been rejected by everybody else, there's somebody in your family, there's somebody out there who needs to know Jesus and until he comes back, we're gonna do everything we can to introduce Jesus to them. And we're a church that gets that. Now in this series, We Are First Church, one thing that I wanna do is I wanna introduce some of you to different ministries in our church. And for those of you guys who don't know, in addition to our staff, which, you know, as the lead minister, I oversee uh, our staff of ministers that we have here. But in addition to our staff that run the day-to-day operations of our church, we also have men who are elders in our church who I work with and who oversee me. And our elders are members of our church who are spiritual leaders that have been appointed to that position. And I wanna invite those men to come to the stage right now because we, uh, we don't have the elders up on stage a whole lot and uh, they're guys who work a lot behind the scenes, but I want them to come up because I want for you guys, one, to see them, but I also want to recognize them. Now, I asked them to be here today and only one could make it. Jerry is out of town. And so, uh, Jerry, hello, I know you're watching online right now. So we welcome you too. But I wanted these men to come up here and I told them that I was going to introduce them to you and pray for them. And we're gonna do that. So I didn't lie to them, but I also wanna do something else. You guys don't know (laughs) during the pandemic what these men did. You don't know the late night phone calls. You don't know the Zoom meetings we had, the sacrifices that they made. 
so our church could pivot and do what God wanted us to do. And all of these men agreed to stay on an extra year in their term. See, normally a term for an elder is a three-year term and then you roll off. And they all agreed to stay on an extra year so that we could have stability in our, in our leadership. They made that sacrifice. And they have been here for our church. They have prayed over me and our staff. And these guys have been outstanding leaders because they get it. And I remember when we first made the call to go online, we were all nervous and didn't know what the future was going to hold. And one of, one of them, one of these men behind me, sent me a message. And here it is. He said, we may not know exactly how, but we all know somehow God will use this. And God did. That's the men who you have as elders of this church. And so as a staff, Matt, if you want to help me out here, we just had little plaques made up that says, First Church hereby appreciates and recognizes the name of the person for his faithful and visionary service as an elder during the 2020-2021 COVID pandemic. And so if you would, would you show your appreciation for these men and the sacrifices that they've made? You can have a seat. They may be mad at me for doing this, but <laughs> you guys defend me, okay? But I love these men. And they're not just men that I work with or who oversee me. <laughs> they're also my friends and my brothers in Christ. Thank you, guys. I'm gonna pray over you. Father, I thank you so much for these men. I thank you for their sacrifice. I thank you for their leadership and the vision that they've had during everything we've faced for the past year or so. And Father, I just pray that you can continue to encourage them and also send other men to be elders of this church who will continue to carry out your vision. Father, I am so grateful for them. I appreciate them. And I lift them up in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, give them one more round of applause before they go. Do you get t-shirts? They're coming, okay, yeah. Chuck wants to know if he gets a t-shirt. Uh, they always want more, you know? <laughs> Guys, we're a church that gets our mission. Those men are examples of that. And I pray right now that you continue to be one who lives on mission for Jesus. Because we're not here to sit on our hands. We're here to do what God has called us to do. We have a short period of time, and we're here to do what he has called us to do. So let's be a church that goes out and loves Jesus and loves like Jesus because Samaria is waiting on us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for our ministry. And I just pray that as we go through this series and we learn more about why we're here as a church, that we can continue to follow your word and be the people you're calling us to be. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. Continue to open up doors to blow our imaginations as we serve you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.